At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shayna Roth, and I'm joined today by economic justice and civil rights reporter for the Michigan Advance, Ken Coleman. Ken, welcome to Mishmash. Thank you for having me. A few weeks ago, there was possibly the most important candidate forum that most people probably missed. Five candidates for the Michigan Supreme Court discussed why they should be elected to the state's highest court. Now, let's be clear. These are deemed nonpartisan offices, and that's where you'll find them on your ballot. But each candidate was nominated by a political party at some point. And you can bet they chose judicial candidates that follow their party's ideology. So, Ken, what were your big takeaways from this? This forum? Well, the, the major takeaway was that the Democrats and the Republicans, the two major parties uh, in Michigan, clearly want to have a majority on the state Supreme Court. Um, it, it helps the party in terms of advocating for policy and interpreting the law. The Democratic Party nominated justices currently hold a four to three majority on the court, and that could very easily swing with this election. And given that we have seen, you know, very clearly on a national level, the impact a Supreme Court can have with the United States Supreme Court, are you seeing a bigger interest in this race than in years past? Well, I think we're clearly seeing uh, uh, increased interest on the part of the parties and um, organizations and institutions that work closely um, with state uh, state policy uh, and state law. But, but candidly, um, I, I don't think there's as much excitement uh, about the Michigan Supreme Court race um, with everyday people, if you will. And, and that's understandable. It normally isn't. It's a nonpartisan part of the ballot, as you talked about. Oftentimes, it could be the second or third uh, page on a ballot. It's down at the end of the ballot. And it's just not as exciting as a gubernatorial race or a legislative race or even a congressional race. I often think about the last Supreme Court election where you had a really great jingle from Justices McCormick and Welch, both of whom won their races. Are we seeing the candidates really do anything innovative or, or attempting to really get people excited? I, I know I'm not even really seeing a lot of, uh, of yard signs for this one. No, I, I haven't seen a lot of yard signs. I haven't heard um, uh, radio ads or television ads. Uh, McCormick was really innovative, as you pointed out, uh, in the last couple of cycles. Um, but uh, you, you don't you don't see a lot of it. I think it's a battleground that's being carried out uh, in the in the in the sort of bowels of the uh, party politics, and 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 then and, and, and then and then that lane, and then you know, and where people receive the news there, maybe at the congressional district level. Uh, at, at local meetings or or countywide party office meetings. It's just not a lot of excitement, uh, it, it, at least in what I've been able to see. So let's talk about these candidates now. There are five. Can you give us sort of a quick bio and rundown of who they are and most importantly, which party nominated them? Absolutely. And so the candidates for Michigan Supreme Court uh, in this cycle, 
Two of them are incumbents. Brian Zara, uh, who was nominated by the Michigan Republican Party, and Richard Bernstein, uh, another incumbent who was nominated by the Michigan Democratic Party. Uh, so those are two candidates. There are five candidates in the field. The other three include Kerry Morgan, who's an attorney. Uh, he was nominated by the Libertarian Party of Michigan. Um, State Rep uh, Kyra Harris-Bolden, a Southfield Democrat, was nominated by the Michigan Democratic Party. And Paul Hudson, uh, an attorney, nominated by the Michigan Republican Party. So five candidates seeking two seats on the Michigan Supreme Court. And what are some of the issues, particularly during the forum, that the candidates were focusing on and really sort of trying to make as part of their platforms? This sort of quintessential issue comes down to uh, a political term called judicial philosophy. Uh, And what that generally speaks to is a more um, conservative, constructionist sort of viewpoint of how the Constitution, in this case, the state Constitution, is interpreted. Uh, And that judicial philosophy phrase usually resonates with candidates, and in this case, resonates with candidates from the Republican and Libertarian parties. Uh, By contrast, uh, the Michigan Democratic Party um, has, has talked a lot in this campaign about one's own personal experience. Uh, Richard Bernstein certainly is a learned attorney, but he's one who has a, a physical challenge in the, in the, in the sense that he is, he is legally blind. Um, he talks about how that experience has helped him in, in terms of uh, handing out juris- jurisprudence at the Michigan Supreme Court level. Uh, in addition to that, the other Democratic Party nominee is uh, a member of the state house. Rep Bolton has certainly said that her uh, experience as a lawmaker is a plus uh, to her. Um, And the other candidates say that uh, 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 legislating from the bench is a no-no, something that we should not do. And so that's really the sort of quintessential uh, difference in the five candidates who are vying for a seat on the Michigan Supreme Court. I mentioned earlier in the show that nationally we've seen how important Supreme Courts are, but the state Supreme Court is also extremely important. They're the reason two of the biggest initiatives the state has seen recently have gotten on ballots in the last five years. The constitutional amendment to legalize abortion, which will be on the ballot this year. And then in 2018, the proposal to change how Michigan draws its district lines. Ken, I want to ask you, what are some potential issues that this court could be looking at after the election? And in in general, what are your thoughts about the importance of this election? At Michigan Advance, we believe that all elections are important. And part of our uh, aim is to try to make lift up issues for uh, our readers, uh, you know, particularly at, at the state uh, government level. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple of uh, issues that, that could, could very well have um, extended life, uh, if you will, in terms of whether or not the Michigan Supreme Court will hear further cases. Uh, there is a there is a a feeling um, in some circles that the uh, reapportionment process, the district line process that was uh, that's been carried out much of this year and, and looks to be sort of settled law, if you will. Um, there is a feeling um, that there may be an attempt to um, push the envelope on that process, meaning challenge uh, the process that was carried out the last year um, and how our our congressional and state uh, legislative lines are drawn. I don't know that that necessarily is is a done deal and that could find itself 
before the Michigan Supreme Court uh, in, in upcoming months. Uh, another issue is the right to abortion or reproductive freedom. Um, I, I think that those two major issues could very well find themselves on the desk, if you will, or on the docket uh, at the Michigan Supreme Court. And then one third issue, um, gender identity uh, and, and, and various forms, or maybe an interpretation of such, uh, perhaps discrimination around that designation. I, th I think those are major issues of the day. Um, and could find themselves on, on a docket at some form or fashion before the Michigan Supreme Court. And obviously the political ideology of the majority of the court will determine those issues and sort of the direction the state goes on issues like that. Most observers believe so, yes. Now let's change direction to another piece you wrote called Foley Says Book Industry Marginalizes Black Queer People Like Him. This is, of course, referring to Michigan author and journalist Aaron Foley. You spoke with him during Band Book Week. Tell us about your conversation with him. Well, it was a dynamic conversation. A uh, little bit of disclosure. I've known Aaron since he was a child. <laughs> uh, <laughs> his mom, uh, Jill Foley, and I worked uh, as journalists at the Michigan Chronicle. Uh, the state's largest African-American newspaper. Uh, Jill and I worked uh, uh, as, as reporters uh, in the early 90s. And so uh, I remember Aaron as a school-aged uh, elementary school student. So again, I've known him for a while. But at his recent um, set of book signings uh, throughout uh, uh, Southeastern Michigan, he, he's talked a lot about um, his journey in terms of writing. Uh, up, up until now, uh, he has been a, a journalist that write, you know, has written stories for various publications, has been an editor that's edited in, in newsrooms. Uh, but, but Boys Come First, um, his, 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 his latest writing is a novel. And it is it's his first novel. And uh, what he has said in recent weeks uh, is that this was a dream of his um, always having the desire to write uh, a novel or to some extent fiction, uh, as opposed to the sort of day-to-day -day, uh, grind that you and I carry out <laughs> as people who, who write about the news of the moment. <laughs> but Foley is, uh, Foley is, is a fantastic young writer. Um, I say young because I'm a little bit older than, than, than he, uh, but he, uh, the book seems to be doing well. He's had uh, several uh, book signings for Boys Come First in Metropolitan Detroit, and I had a chance to spend some time with him at Source Booksellers. Uh, in Detroit uh, a couple of weeks ago. What I really liked about your conversation and your piece is that you hit both of the major problems or two of the major problems plaguing black and queer writers, not just that their books are being banned by conservative groups, but also the publishing industry still, still, still is not publishing these authors. And to quote your piece, you said, it makes me upset and emotional when I see artists of color targeted, said Foley. It's hard enough for people of color to be published. That's very disheartening. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've, I've, I've seen Aaron in his public postings through Facebook, his writings, again, knowing him uh, and his family, Aaron's been, Aaron Foley's been very candid over the years about his concern about the lack of inclusion. Uh, the lack of diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion um, in, in, in any number of spaces, uh, including uh, newsrooms uh, in metropolitan Detroit, 
and across the country. He's, he's talked and written a lot about that, uh, the lack of seeing people who look like him uh, in, deci in decisions, of, uh, in, in, in areas of decision-making um, in newsrooms and even uh, in terms of reporters covering stories. So um, it wasn't, it, it, it was very natural and, 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 and did not seem to be, um, to me, uh, something far-fetched for him to say he's got concerns about uh, the lack of diversity and inclusion um, and acceptance within the publishing industry, um, uh, the book publishing industry, and uh, you know an industry that he finds himself um, in, um, in in a, in a very you know significant way. And when it comes to gender identity. Um, in addition to that, Foley, Aaron Foley believes that, um, you know, there hasn't been wide enough of an acceptance uh, of authors who look like him uh, and have the orientation that he has. Uh, and that's problematic. It's problematic for Aaron Foley. It's problematic for me. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a member of the National Association of Black Journalists and uh, very active in our Detroit chapter. And through much of my career that really now um, is more than 30 years off and on as a working journalist, uh, full-time journalist, we've seen ebbs and flows and the lack of diversity and inclusion uh, in any number of ways. And so Foley is lifting that up uh, and also saying it's important. Um, and, you know, it, it's tough for us as journalists to be activists, right? We're not, we're, we're taught not to be part of the story. Um, but what we found in the African-American community, and, th and this certainly is a big thrust of the National Association of Black Journalists, advocacy is important. Um, it's important that newsrooms look like the communities that they represent. And um, what I've learned, and I think what Aaron Foley and others have learned over the years, it's okay to publicly talk about that because uh, it is important. Before we head out, you recently followed abortion rights activists and Planned Parenthood leaders as they canvassed in Detroit for the abortion ballot initiative that I mentioned earlier. You reported that leaders from several states actually met in Detroit to canvass and support Proposal 3. Why did these people come to Michigan from out of state and why specifically are they honing in on Detroit? Leaders, uh, particularly pan, uh, Planned Parenthood uh, executives from Big Ten states like Ohio, Wisconsin, and as far away as California, uh, were here in Detroit this week uh, to um, certainly um, understand, better understand what's, what's happening on the issue of abortion um, in Michigan. There are many people who believe this is one of the ground zero states. Um, not the only, um, but certainly uh, there's significant action and movement here. As you mentioned, Proposal 3 is on the fall ballot, and it could very well change uh, in a significant way, um, solidify change, um, uh, keep in place the right uh, of a person to have reproductive freedom. And so those executives were here this week, not only to learn about uh, what Michigan um, activists are doing um, in, uh, 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 on that issue, but also um, help to canvas, um, go door to door uh, and knock and support a proposal three. And so what, um, what I saw yesterday was I, we had access, Michigan, uh, Michigan Advance had access to their strategy meeting 
uh, and then access to uh, their canvas, meaning going door to door. Um, as you know, Michigan is an early voting state and people are voting every day now and have been for about a week or two. Um, and so the idea was to have uh, those uh, executives uh, on the ground, if you will, in Michigan, but not only in Michigan, in Detroit, um, in a community that is voter rich, one of the leading um, voter turnout communities uh, in the state's largest city. What is the appetite in Detroit for Proposal 3? Have you been able to get a sense of which way people and voters are leaning? Yeah, I, I think Detroit largely supports initiatives if they have statewide initiatives or local initiatives, ballot initiatives. Uh, Detroiters as, as, as a body generally support those efforts um, if they've been uh, supported and lifted up by uh, the Michigan Democratic Party and uh, or either people who are uh, left of center. And so I, I think the proposal more than likely uh, will do very well uh, in, in Detroit proper. But I also point out, just like we talked about in the previous um, the previous conversation about the Michigan Supreme Court, uh, non the nonpartisan part of the ballot uh, initiatives uh, are part of that end of the ballot. And there's always a drop off from, uh, from what people do at the top of the ballot uh, to what happens at the end of the ballot. Straight ticket voting, which is very popular uh, in, in Detroit and has been for decades, doesn't address those portions of that of the ballot, the nonpartisan and uh, initiatives and ballot issues. So uh, it, it, I do think that uh, proposals, uh, those that want to see proposals passed do have to go the extra step uh, of, of sort of selling their message. And I think that's what you saw today, uh, saw this week um, with the canvassing and strategy session. Uh, carried out on Proposal 3. Make sure you read your whole ballot, flip it over, check it twice. Very important. <laughs> yeah, that, there's, that's, that's been the, you know, that's been the mantra um, over the last uh, several cycles, certainly uh, here in southeastern Michigan. And, and, and I, I would gather it's the, it's the mantra throughout the state, too, no matter how you fall on the issue. I think that Republicans and Democrats, for example, are probably saying the same thing on that point. They're just obviously arguing for <laughs> uh, uh, arguing for a different uh, result. Ken Coleman is the economic justice and civil rights reporter for the Michigan Advance. Ken, thank you so much for joining me here today on Mishmash. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.